Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to come here and meet together, your children, to come before you to partake of the manna from heaven, your precious word, Lord. Help us to grow in it, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, partake of the promises you have in your word for us. Thank you for the anointing that rests upon me to to share your word, Lord, with your children and to help them grow and work into the work that you have given them to do, to the work of the ministry, and to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a scripture in Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 23. It says that it is not within man to direct his own steps. And now, I don't know (laughs) if any of you are willing to testify to that fact, because it is a fact, but I will. (laughs) I tried it my way for a long time, and I sabotaged everything God tried to do in my life. And every time I got something I thought was going to fill a void in me and make me happy and whole. It just left me more empty. And I realize now what Jeremiah came to realize in chapter 10, verse 23, is that it's just not for me to determine my own life. I'll foul it up every time. I need God. And in Hebrews, at chapter 11, verse 6, And he also said this in the Old Covenant, but this is in the New. It says that without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. So we are called to a life of faith, which simply means not directing our own steps. It means trusting in God's Word and His goodness, just like they should have done and kept on doing in the Garden of Eden. They should have never... Took a bite of that old apple. If they would have believed God and trusted God instead of the enemy, none of the bad things would have happened. They died that day. Spiritually. You ever wonder why God says the the day you partake of it, you will surely die. And then they lived for hundreds of years outside of the garden, obviously, but they did. Because God is a spirit, John four twenty four, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He sees us after the spirit. That's why when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he looks at us and he sees righteousness. He sees gold. He sees A redeemed spirit. Perfect and holy. Siri had an amen on that. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Peter said, I, I mentioned last week or the week before that He opened up first or second Peter. He's speaking to those with like precious faith. People who have the same faith as him. They say, well, I don't have 
what Peter had. You know, they laid sick people along his path to church just hoping his shadow would fall upon them and heal them. That's, he, had, he had more faith. No, he didn't have more faith than you if you have Jesus. He had the faith of Christ just like you do. The measure. Same measure for everybody who comes down the chow line. Amen. Now yours might be, it, they describe it in the Bible with different words, little faith or weak faith. But it, what that is, is just like in a, a natural example, is like the muscles on our, on the, hanging on the skeleton. Amen. We have, we have uh, biceps, for instance, and they can either just be kind of wiggling around on your arm there, like mine have started to do after not being able to use them for a few months. Or we can exercise them and make them grow, can't we? Get them stronger. And that's the same way with our faith. Because faith is an abiding fruit of the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists those those characteristics of God which are in our born-again spirit. Love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness. Faith, meekness, and temperance. So they're all there, full-blown and full-grown. You say, well, then I must not have got saved because I'm, I'm still just kind of a butthead. <laughs> just ask my wife. <laughs> no. Your spirit was saved, perfected. The nature of, the, of the Satan was cast out. God's Spirit came in, restored your spirit, and sealed your spirit with the promised Holy Spirit. One-third of your salvation is already complete if you have the Lord Jesus. Now you have this soulish realm, your mind and will and emotions, and it has been screwed up by the world through these eye and ear gates. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Well, so does unbelief and doubt and fear. It comes from the world. And which one do you think we've heard more of in our lives? <laughs> no wonder it takes a little doing to get this soulish realm, our personalities, in line with the Spirit of God that's within us. We call to renew our minds according to the Word of God so that we may know what is pleasing to God, you see. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases God. Call it going to the five and down, 5.10. I like it. Just because the fact that it tells us to find out what pleases God tells, shows us that it's possible. Because you hear so many people, oh, well, God works in mysterious ways. You just never know if God willed it. Well, that's nonsense to a large degree. The sovereignty of God, He is definitely the Alpha and Omega, the greatest, the only true and living God. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. But He gave us a free will, and so it's a relationship. We have a part to play, and He'll protect our right to exclude Him from our lives. If that's what we choose, all the way to hell. Breaking His heart all along the way, because it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and be saved. Amen. But I want to let you know that just like you have that same 
like precious faith as Peter did, you have the same faith that Jesus did. Paul said, you know, it's, it's kind of, we don't want to think of Jesus that way because Jesus is God. The second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. They are one person, yet three separate individuals. It's something that is hard for our minds to wrap around. It's a good thing. He's God and we're not. Amen. <laughs> but when Jesus was here, he had to, we needed a kinsman redeemer to undo. God had given all authority in this earth to Adam and Eve, to Adam in the garden, right? And so then he made Eve. And so when they gave away that authority by agreeing with the, the devil and that corruption entered into the seed, which is what God looks at. We were stuck. We were stuck without help, without hope. Nobody, because of that sin nature that was in us, because of the corrupted seed that was implanted in our spirit, we were never going to be able to be good enough to earn our way back to God. So he had to send a kinsman redeemer, somebody like us, to earn the privilege back. To earn relationship back. And God wanted desperately to do that. And he developed a plan. Jesus made the payment for the plan. And the Holy Spirit is here now. Empowering us to walk out that plan. Amen. Amen. And I want to tell you. It's exciting. If you, if you will just. If you will believe. That you are who God says you are. And have what he says you have. You will begin to see great things happen in your life. And we are blessed to be a blessing. So wouldn't it be great for you to be helped in all the ways that God wants to help you. Healed everywhere you hurt. Empowered. Loved and prospered. So that you can do the same for others. Everywhere Jesus went, there's either a riot or revival. Amen. Over in Luke chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it to you anyway. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, I'll just give you an example. This is when Jesus began his ministry, came up out of the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. First, he was baptized at 30 years old by his cousin in the Jordan River, John the Baptist. He was water baptized and baptized in the Holy Ghost at the same time. Remember the dove came and lit on him and stayed. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then he went off into the desert for 40 days. He was tempted. He came back and... Verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth. Where he, helped, where he had been brought up. Listen folks. Familiarity breeds contempt. 
It's sad that it's that way, but it is. And Jesus struggled with this. He went to, he was saying, he, he went all around the, the country and he was glorified by all. You see that? And then verse 14, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, he went to church. It wasn't church that day where the body of Christ is at the church. So, but he went to the synagogue. He, was, he went to temple. On the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He just dropped the mic. Amen. Basically saying, I'm here. This Messiah y'all been waiting on, it's me and I'm here. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious works that were coming from his mouth. And they said, and then here's that familiarity and contempt. Wait, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why were they, why were they mad? And what was he talking about when he said all that? About all the people that were sick and all the people that were hurting and all the widows and he only was sent to a woman in Sidon and uh, Naaman the Syrian. They were the only ones that had faith. There's another place in the word where it says Jesus went, he was going around healing everybody in the land. He went to his hometown and they did the same thing. They got offended with him because they started saying, wait, isn't this the carpenter's son? And they see sisters with us here and on his brothers, Judas and James. And and they got offended. Unbelief came in, you see. And their hearts were hardened toward him. And he couldn't, it says he couldn't heal. He only did a couple of minor things and he left that territory. And he he was amazed at their unbelief. But when they heard these things... All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They got mad at him. Verse 29. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill. If you ever go to Israel, you can go to this place where they were going to throw him off this mountain, this hill. Uh, Out of town and brought him to, to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. 
But passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> I love how cool Jesus is. You got a whole mob ready to throw you off a cliff and kill you, and you just cruise right through them, and then you're gone. But then, that was that was some of the rioting I'm talking about. He stirred some people up. One day, he had hundreds following him. And he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got no part in me. And they'd never taken communion. They didn't know what he was talking about. He seemed like a cannibal. And the disciples came and said, don't you know you offended these people? And he said, so? <laughs> you want to leave too? They said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. He knew that God was going to send him those that belonged to him. He wasn't just trying to be ugly. But he caused a lot of problems. John 6, 6, 6 is that passage of scripture that says, And many departed and followed him no more. That's that spirit of Antichrist. Isn't that funny how it's numbered right there? John 6, verse 66. But I'm telling you these things because I'm trying to encourage you to Believe in who you are and what you have. And I want to let you know that there's hardship that comes with it. Same thing will happen to you if you really rise up. And you decide to know who you are in Christ. And you choose to walk in faith. You will be surprised at those who are surprised at you. What I mean is you'll hear, you know, we missed you uh, at the golf course uh, Sunday morning. We we missed you at the the uh, the poker run. We missed you at the Bloody Mary party. We miss you at the tailgate bash on Sunday morning. But you can. Get so full of faith and so full of the love of God and the peace of God that you won't care what they think of you. And you'll say just what Jesus said to his folks when they came to, to find him when he went missing for a couple of days when he was a boy. And he, he told them, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? They found him in the temple teaching the old men. Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Why did you even expect me on Sunday morning at 10.30? You know where to find me down there at post 8905, the VFW, Grace and Truth Church. That's our temporary home. <laughs> I'm there to be fed, man. I'm hungry when I get there. You got people all over town looking at their watch. They can't wait to get to the restaurant. They're starving. And there are other people in town that anointed spirit-filled churches say, Man, I came here to eat. The manna from heaven, the spiritual food that God says that I need. They came to Jesus when he was talking to the woman at the well. That poor woman who couldn't go in the morning and when it was cool in the morning with all the other women. Because they were so nasty to her and they treated her so bad she had to go in the heat of the day. And he went way out of his way on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. Because he had an appointment 
that God had shown him with this poor woman who was so hurt and broken. And all the other disciples went to town to get some food and he sat down there and she came and he said, will you give me a drink of water? And she was surprised that he even spoke to her because she was Samaritan. And he, he said, well, anyway, I don't want to, I, I digress. He blessed her that day. And then the disciples came back and they, he told them, they, 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 they thought that he was hungry. And he said, I've got food that you know nothing about. That's what he was talking about. Spiritual food. Which is what we need. We, we eat plenty. Huh? And, but we're starving spiritually sometimes. You know? We're starving spiritually. And cold, one cold meal a week, you know, some people are getting. Not here. <laughs> I hope you're getting a hot banquet. And I hope, I hope you're smart. I hope you're smart to give you time to hear the Word of God and that you listen intently with meekness. With a teachable spirit. I hope you're just like that little boy who came and offered up his, his little basket with five little barley loaves and a couple of fish as an offering to the Lord to feed over 5,000 men plus women and children. Because you know that boy, he gave away his sack lunch, but he took home 12 basketfuls. Of leftovers. Hallelujah. I don't want to just tell you the bad part. I said everywhere Jesus went, it was right or revival. So let's talk about the latter. Amen. Mark chapter 5. Let's turn back a few pages. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. Y'all with me? Jesus had been ministering on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is when he had calmed the storm. But right when they got to shore on the other side, a lot of people talk about the storm and the calming the sea and all that, but you, you don't hear too much about what happened when they did get to the other side. Right when Jesus stepped out of the boat, chapter 5, verse 2, Mark, and Jesus stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore. They they couldn't even chain him up or tie him up because he was too strong because of these demons that possessed him. 
Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. See, he's not talking to that man anymore. And it's not that man that's talking to him. It's this legion of demons that have possessed this man and tormented him and caused him to live amongst the tombs, amongst the dead, because he was dead spiritually. Lonely and afraid and tormented night and day with tattered clothes, rejected by men and feared. But these Legion of spirits, they're talking to Jesus, saying, what do you want with us? They knew who he was. And Jesus said, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Hundreds, hundreds of soldiers in a Roman legion, you see. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was <laughs> feeding there on the hillside. You know, Jews hate pork. And where they're talking about, this is, this is a place that worshipped Baal. And they were, they were sacrificing these pigs to a false god anyway. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000. 2,000. 2,000 demons in this man at least. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. <laughs> he got rid of all those unclean sacrifices. Amen. Jesus has a sense of humor, I'll tell you. <laughs> the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Golly. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, and you know what he did? You don't want Jesus. He won't insist. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with him. Remember that dream I told you where I wanted to go so badly with the Lord? And he just turned and walked through the wall. Same thing here, basically. Remember I told you why I stayed? Because I had work to do. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them 
how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Amen. You know, Jesus said, these things that I do, you're going to do them too. And greater things will you do. Because I go to my Father. And so, you know, Jesus was here. He, he was with, I think it was harder in many ways for the disciples to have faith. Because they were with Jesus day in and day out. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. Familiarity breeds contempt. Thank you, David. They saw him raise the dead, but they also heard him burp. They also knew he was the carpenter's son. You know, just like all them hypocrites in the church, you know, hey, who's this guy? Yeah, he's doing some great things, but wait a minute. Shouldn't he be making chairs over there somewhere? Remember, he's the one who used to run through the rose bushes all the time. Jesus said, greater things will you do. Because see, now the Holy Spirit has come and he can be everywhere at one time. He can be with all of us. Just like having our own personal Jesus. That's exactly what we have. In the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, if you ask? I tell you, the best prayer, well, there's so many great prayers, they're all good, but some of the best fruit that I've had from my prayer life and and things that I've sought God for is just simply, Father, who am I really? Who, who am I? What am I now? You say that all things have changed. Any man being Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Thank God, because I was a mess. I had everything I wanted or thought and I was just lost and empty and broken. I, I stopped at an intersection, a four-way stop with no cars around anywhere on my Harley Davidson one day and I just sat there and I dropped my arms and I just looked up to the sky. Something's got to give. I need your help. Psalm 8 talks about us. And at the same time, I'm going to go, that's the Old Testament. I'm going to go to Hebrews where it says the same thing. It elaborates on it. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. 
<clears throat> Listen to this. For it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. He's talking about Psalm 8. Another witness. Amen. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So that's what he's saying. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels for a little while. Just like Jesus was brought to earth for a little while. We're here for a little while. Just just a flicker. This is not our home. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? To the exclusion of all others? Have you believed on him that he was... Crucified for your sins and he was raised from the dead and he lives today enthroned at the right hand of the Father, then you are an ambassador here for him now. And he has crowned you with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under your feet. When Jesus sat down, he was done. He gave the church the authority to use His name, His authority. We have power over all the works of the devil. I say that specifically, emphasis on the works of the devil, because not the devil. We don't have power over control of the devil. He's supposed to be here for a time. So, God being a righteous and lawful, law-abiding God... Holds himself accountable to his own word. The devil is still in control of this world for a time. But you're not subject to any of his devices. Or his power. He has no power over you except what you give him. Verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Listen, if you're born again, John 3, 3, unless you've been born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You cannot. But if you have believed on Jesus and put your trust in Him, then as surely as you are sitting here today, you were crucified with Jesus on that cross. You were laid in the tomb with Jesus and you were raised from the dead with Him. And now it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. The same power that raised Him from the dead lives in you and gives life to your mortal body. It gets better. (laughs) That should influence you though. That should influence how you live in this life. If we really believe it, it will influence us. It's our unbelief 
Just like the disciples. They believed for all kind of great things. He sent them out. Go heal the sick. Open blind eyes. Don't even take anything with you. They're going to take care of you as you go. Faith, faith, faith. Then one day, Peter thought he would boast a little bit. The law was you had to forgive your brother three times in a day, right? Jesus, he said, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me in a day? He said, seven times. He knew the law was three. He thought he'd double it and add one for good measure just to show off. Jesus said, no. How about 777? How about so many times you can't count? And the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) It takes faith to forgive. But it's not an option for a Christian. If we don't forgive, we're not trusting God. People... People mistake forgiveness with acceptance and trust. Totally different. Nevertheless, we're talking about us believing in who we are and what we have. If we really believe that we will do greater things. I've heard preachers say, well, I think maybe the greater things are just acts of love and building great monuments to God. No Okay, let's just say those are the, the, the greater things. Let's, what about, the, he said, the things that I do, you'll do. Let's just do those first. Because <laughs> you, can't, you can't make up your own story about that. We know what he did. Now let's just do, let's just start there and then we'll talk about the greater things. Amen. Amen. One of the ministries that I'm partnered with, I... I was watching the other day, and they had a. Uh, you ever see, you know, uh, Todd White was there ministering. He's a he's a really neat dude. He's got dreadlocks. He he's like a like a California dude, you know. But he's a he's a very powerful ministry. If you never seen him, look him up. Todd White, you'll notice him. And he's with the dreads. But anyway, they, he was there ministering as a guest. And anyway, they they've seen lots of uh, people. Healed and raised from the dead, and so forth. And they, this man brought his wife up, and she was gaunt-looking and lifeless, basically. And uh, he just just carried her right up to the stage. It's like this. He just in my book, you'll see where God responds to your friend's faith for you sometimes if you need it. Anyway, a few minutes later, this lady's just walking around there, you know, smiling and laughing. Healed. Andrew's son was dead for five hours in the morgue with the toe tag on. He's alive today. No brain damage. Andrew says no more than he already had. These things are real. If we can believe, we can receive. If we can believe that we can and will do the greater things. If we can believe that we are really children of God. Adopted as it may be. 
with the same rights and privileges, though, as the natural born child himself. Amen. Amen. We're in Christ. We're redeemed, purchased with the blood of Jesus. I think next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, if I'm not mistaken. And we'll be having communion. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. That's the wine. But the body broken for you. None of his bones were broken, but his body was definitely tore up from the floor up. Unrecognizable. Those 39 lashes he took. You know, now the modern science has determined 39 major illnesses. You know, categories of illness or whatever you want to call it that that are that bring death. For each each one of those he took a stripe, you see. That's the body that was broken for us. That's why we partake of that meal. For the healing. It's already been paid for. We just have to believe that we've been redeemed, that we've been justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That being made righteous with his righteousness. Then we'll begin to allow for the sanctification that God calls for. That he desires from you. Sanctified, just set apart and made holy. He said, come out from amongst them. That doesn't mean you have to avoid the world. They, you, you know, you don't, you don't light a candle and put it under a basket, Jesus said. You don't hide your light. You go let it shine. You are the city on the hill. Shining brightly for the world to see. Sam loves to go let his light shine. He loves to tell people about... He just slides in there and somehow the next thing you know, he's inviting them to church, isn't he? Well, that's his, maybe that's his measure. We all have a measure. We all have a job to do, a part to play. And if you think it's insignificant, it may be all the more significant for all you know. You know, I talk about Andrew a lot, Andrew Womack, because I, I, when I met Andrew some years ago, I, before I was ever the regional advocate for his minister's association for this part of Texas and other places. I I told him, I said, you know, I said, well, I tell everybody in other towns when you go there, go see my friend Andrew. And I said, I, I, we need to make it official. So I met him and I said, you know, I said, you, God showed me everything. You haven't taught me anything except how to articulate what God already showed me. But I couldn't find the other ministers that agreed, you know. And when I left them, they all put me in hell and so forth and so on. And I needed somebody that understood grace of God. And how the grace of God is the power of God. Not a license to sin, but the power of God to do and to be all that God has called us to do and to be. And all the peace, love, and joy that we ever wanted or needed in our life, it's already in us. We need to work out our salvation. Work out that which is already within. First Peter, I'm almost done here. 
Get excited. First Peter, verse two. We were in Hebrews. It's just right past there, a little ways. First Peter, verse two. Still talking about who we are and what we have. I want to make sure we drive it home. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are a new race of people, you see. If people understood who we are and what we have in Christ, there would there wouldn't be all these divisions and racism and all that, especially within the church. Revelations chapter one, verse six. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has made us a holy nation of priests and kings, is what it says in the King James back there in First Peter. You are a king and a priest. Not only that, but in the order of Melchizedek, not in the old, in the old covenant uh, standard of priesthood, where they died off. But no, in the order of Melchizedek. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. But uh, he is the king without beginning or end. You are a royal priesthood. You know why I keep saying that? I want you to hear me. Because you are a king and a priest in God's eyes. Because I know there are some people that think they have their relationship with God through a priest. And that's not true. And I pray for those people because I'm I'm afraid for them. And I'm afraid for the people who are teaching them that. A priest is simply an intercessor. Someone who approaches God on behalf of others, you see. Do you pray for anyone? Yes. I hope I hope so. <laughs> then you are a priest, you see? You are exercising your priesthood that God has spoken over you. He has anointed and ordained you as a royal priesthood. You are someone now who approaches God on behalf of others. And he hears your prayer. And if you pray according to his will, we know that we have what we have prayed for. So don't stop praying. Just start believing. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, when you pray, 
Believe that you have what you prayed for and you shall have it. That seems opposite. Because the world's going to say, I believe it when I see it. And you say, then you're never going to see it. If you believe it, then you will see it. Because you have to see it here first. Hope is a godly imagination. Not a fantasy. One more thing, and I'll leave you. I'll leave you to your your Sunday. But I told you it gets better. <laughs> You're not just placed here with everything, the power of the devil in subjection to you, your authority that has been given to you for a little while lower than the angels. You're not just a royal nation, a holy priesthood set apart, sanctified for God, for His purpose, for His family, a child of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this blew my mind when I first got a hold of this. Paul was answering questions that the Corinthian church had sent to him. If you're ever reading through this and you're like, What's he ta- why is he talking about that all of a sudden? He's answering a series of questions they had mailed to him or whatever, sent by Pony Express, Chariot Express. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think of something clever to say with an X on it, Chariot X, but I, I'm not that sharp. FedEx. <laughs> And he was getting on to them about bringing each other to court, those who were in the church. He says, what? You're suing each other? Isn't there anyone amongst you wise enough to settle your own disputes? You taking this to unbelievers to settle your, your scores? What is, how shameful. But that's not what got me. That just told me about church discipline and how we're supposed to do things. That's, that's how we learn. But he said something here. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? That's what I just told you. But look at verse 2. Or do you not know that the saints, that's all of you, will judge the world? Are you feeling the gravity of this? God has a future for you. I'm telling you, we're just here for a flicker. (laughs) We're not just going to sit on a cloud and play a harp all day. (laughs) Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you're wondering... If it's just the, 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 the ones that the Catholic Church has set aside and called saints. No, you are a saint. Again, just like the priesthood. That's all wrong. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not against anyone. I love them and I'm praying for them. But that's wrong. Quit praying to the dead. If your loved ones, they can't hear you. And I'm not saying it to be mean. That brings some people comfort. 
No, saying that, oh, they're here with me or they were watching and so forth. And I'm not mocking you and I'm not trying to hurt you, but God wants you to turn to Him. He's the one that's with you. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. If your loved one could hear you, why would you want to bring this mess back to them again when they're already in heaven where there is the absence of all of this nonsense? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Now listen to this. Verse 3 of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? You know, angels have a free will just like we do. They're not robots either. And we know because we know what happened with Satan, who was a powerful angel and a beautiful uh, angel at one time, that one third of the angels that followed him, they were cast down with him. Amen. So the gravity of this just, it should make an impact on you as a Christian. You're going to play a part in judging the world and judging angels. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? If you can believe, if you will believe <laughs> that all things are possible with God, that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, because they got scared. He started talking about the holiness of God and how hard it was for that's where he was talking about a rich man to get to heaven. He said, oh, it's hard, hard for them. Like a, like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And I've heard stories about how, oh, that doesn't mean what you think. That just There used to be these little doors in the city walls. And at night they closed the big doors and the little doors. It was a little harder for the camel. He had to get on his knees and go through it like that. But he could do it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about a sewing needle. Because they said, well, God, they, who, who can be saved then? And that's when Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo, thank you, Jesus. The natural fruit of being redeemed of being, of, of tasting the freedom that is found in Christ is evangelism. Just like the man that he freed from all that demonic oppression in the tombs, his natural tendency was to go and tell everybody about it. Amen. And if we really believe what has happened to us and what we have become, instead of believing what we see in the mirror... And the lies of the devil will get excited too. First of all, we'll want to go with Jesus. But when he insists that we stay here for just a little while, we'll want to go tell everybody else. Hell is a real place and it's a bad place. You don't want your worst enemy going there. 
The best thing can happen to them is that God get a hold of their heart and change them. If you just believe, the acronym for this church that I love talking about is help to heal, empower, love, and prosper the body of Christ. If you'll just let the Lord help you in that regard, to heal you everywhere you hurt, emotionally and physically, to empower you through His Word, through His promises, to learn to use the authority He's given you, to walk in an overflow of the love that He has for you. You have to understand how much He loves you before you can pass that on to others. If it's going to be real love. The world's kind of love is I love you for what you do for me. That's not really love. That's lust, you see. God's kind of love is outward. And it's not based on anyone else's actions. He said the world loves those who are good to them. That, what, that doesn't help you at all. What sets us apart is that we are loved because we love everyone because we are loved. We forgive because we're forgiven. We love Jesus because He first loved us. Amen. If you really just believe, you'll never let your memories be bigger than your dreams. Because you realize that if we'll use our imagination for godly dreams, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. As you trust in Him. As you hope in Him. As you put Him first in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He wants you to get to where, like in Amos 3.3, 3, it says, How can two walk together lest they be agreed? He wants you to agree with Him. He wants you to learn about Him. Learn His ways. Learn His promises and provisions for your life. So that your dreams and His dreams are the same. And then... His desires will be placed in your heart. And you will be able to believe in, in re, for those things and, and, and see them in your, in your mind and in your heart. And, and they will come to pass. If you can believe it, you can receive it. Amen? Amen. Believe and receive or doubt and do without. A successful life of faith, which is what we're after here, is someone who understands covenant authority. In the New Testament. You have to look at life. You have to look at this Bible. Through the lenses. I, I used to like that old uh, song by John Conley. Rose colored glasses. You have to look through the lens of the new covenant of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. Thank you Lord for loving us and for teaching us your word. Thank you for helping us to understand your ways and your will for our lives. Help us to understand who we are and what we have in Christ. And to walk in that victory, in that power, in that love and peace and prosperity. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.